Amen. Amen. Glory be to God and our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, the Prince of Peace, the King of Kings, the Lord of Lords, the Lion of Judah, the one who was and is and is to come, the one before every knee shall bow and every tongue shall confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. Praise God for the choir and for always doing an awesome job to usher in an atmosphere of worship before a God who's worthy of all worship, worthy of all glory. To him be all glory, power, and honor forever and ever. Amen. Amen. Let us pray. Our Father and our God who art in heaven, Lord, there's no one like you. And Lord God, we come at this very moment, Lord, surrendering ourselves before you, Father, desiring to hear your voice, Lord. Lord, I pray, Father, that you would, uh, that you would transform hearts, Father God, that you would, Lord, bring repentance, Father God, through the word that is to be preached this morning, Lord, that you would help us to behold thy glory, Lord God, this day, that we would stand in awe of a God who is truly awesome. Lord God, reveal yourself, Lord, that we would see you, Lord God and our need for you. In the name of Jesus Christ, we pray. Amen. 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 It's truly a blessing to see everyone again uh, this morning. Um, if you're like me, uh, whenever something requires a great deal of your time or a great deal of your money, you want to make sure you're getting... Uh, your money's worth. You want to make sure that it's worth it. Uh, regardless of what it may be, you want to make sure that the time that you spend, that it's worth your time. And when you're purchasing something that you feel like you're getting at least your money's worth. It doesn't matter how small it is. It could be something as simple as, as doing yard work, or it could be something like just going to the movies. You want to make sure that it's worth it. Uh, Jocelyn and I, uh, we got to, to put that through the test uh, on Friday when we both went to go see a movie uh, that we wanted to see. Jocelyn uh, wanted to see quite a bit more than I did, and she's kind of been talking about it over the past couple of weeks. And, and so we went to go see this movie on Friday, and we were, we were excited. You know, we, we got some popcorn, and, and typically we don't do the popcorn because it's too high. You ain't getting your money's worth. But we said, you know what, I think this is going to be, probably be a pretty good movie, so we'll go ahead and get some popcorn. And so we sat down, and, and we got ready to watch the movie, and, and, uh, and, and probably not halfway through the movie, I looked over, and Jocelyn is nodding off. She is knocked out. <laughs> and, and I can't lie either, because I was nodding off before that. I don't think she caught it, because she was nodding off. And we both came away. In fact, we actually left the movie early. We didn't even finish watching the movie. That's how bad it was. And we both came away with like, that was not worth it. It was not worth our time, and it certainly wasn't worth our money. But you know what? There's something that is so much more valuable than a couple of hours or even uh, some money, and that is our life. Our life is so much more valuable. And that is exactly what Jesus Christ requires of all of those who are going to put their faith in him. He requires of our very life. In Luke 9, 23, Jesus Christ says, If anyone would come after me, he must deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. Familiar words that many of us have heard before, and we're likely to say amen to it. But if we're honest, that's, that's hard work. And to some, it may be like it's asking an awful lot for us to give of our very selves. What Jesus Christ is requiring of us is not to no, to no longer live for ourselves, but to live for him. To die to our desires daily and to live for his glory. Not to, to live for my glory any longer, but to live for him who's, who died on the cross for me. But that's difficult. I know that there have been quite a few, there have been some times over my, my walk with Christ, where the question entered my mind, is it worth it? 
Is it worth studying God's word time after time, sacrificing time? Is it worth spending hours preparing for sermons? Is it worth counseling and doing counseling and looking for change? Is it worth it coming to God's house on Sunday morning when maybe we can sleep in, get a little bit more rest? Is it really worth it? And if you're honest, some of, some of you probably thought the same thing over a course of time. You probably thought the same thing, is it, is it really worth it? Is it really worth it to, to get into community groups and to, to really be transparent? Is it, is it really worth my time? Is it really worth my sacrifice? Is it really worth it? Jesus Christ, he lets us know that it is truly worth it. In a similar situation, when he's with the disciples, actually before he enters into Jerusalem on Palm Sunday, Peter says, we have, left, we have left house and everything to follow you. And Jesus Christ says, truly, I say to you, no one who has left their house, their brother, their mother, their father, or their child, who will, will not receive much more in this age and the time to come. Jesus Christ says, yes, it is truly worth it to give yourself to me. It is truly worth it to give your all to me. And so that's the question that is before us, and that's what I want, to, want us to ponder. I want us to, to walk away today and seeing that it is truly worth it, because if we don't truly believe, if we don't truly believe that, that God has something better in store for us, for those who have put their faith in Jesus Christ, if we truly don't believe that in our heart, in the deepest part of our heart, if we truly don't believe that, then we're going to question if it's truly worth it and we're not going to live for his glory and his glory alone. But I want you to walk away with the thought today that God makes heaven well worth it. God makes heaven well worth it. If you would turn with me to Revelation 21. Revelation 21, and if you would... Stand for the reading of God's word. In this particular chapter, in these few verses that we're going to read, convinced without a doubt that it is well worth it. It's worth it, the sacrifice. It's worth it, fighting against temptation. It's worth it, not giving in to our own sinful desires and, and, and pursuing Christ Jesus above all. It is truly worth it. Revelation 21, verse 1, it reads, Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and the sea was no more. And I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them and they will be his people and God himself will be with them as their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore for the former things have passed away. And he who was seated on the throne said, Behold, I am making all things new. Also he said, Write this down. For these words are trustworthy and true. And he said to me, it is done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. To the thirsty I will give from the spring of the water of life without payment. The one who conquers will have this heritage. And I will be his God and he will be my son. But as for the cowardly, the faithless, the detestable, as for murderers, the sexually immoral, sorcerers, idolaters, and all liars, their portion will be in the lake that burns with fire and sulfur, which is the second death. May the Lord have a blessing upon the readers and doers of his word. Amen. The book of Revelation be a book of mystery to, to many of us. 
when we look at the, the book of Revelation, it is so rich, so rich with images and symbolisms and, and, and a lot of things are taking place in the book of Revelation. The book of Revelation uh, was a book that was given to, or the Revelation, I would say, was given to uh, one of this, J- Jesus Christ's disciples, the Apostle John, one of the twelve. And this Revelation was given to John while he was on the island of Patmos, which is in the Asian Sea, an island that is about eight miles wide and about six miles long. Uh, While John was on this island and had been exiled to this island because of his faith, because he was faithful to Jesus Christ, he was exiled by the Roman emperor to this particular island. And a lot is taking place over this particular course in time in which John receives this revelation. A number of Christians are also being persecuted. And it's as if God presents this revelation to John to say, it is worth it. The book of Revelation, which also means to to reveal or unveil, Uh, we may know of it as this Greek word, apocalypse, and this book, uh, it, though it's, it's, it's mixed with some symbolism and a lot of imagery, this book, the main theme, stands out loud and clear and that God will fulfill what he has promised before and what is to come is the judgment of those who do not believe in Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior and also the redemption of the church that we would dwell with God forever. And so we see this book of Revelation, this revelation is being given to John while he's on the the island of Patmos. And John is seeing a number or has seen a number of of things up to this point in in chapter 21. A number of things have have taken place. He's he's seeing images and and things that have uh, uh, in regards to the tribulation and the great battle of Armageddon, and the rapture of the church. He, he has seen a number of things. He has seen angels. He has, he has seen a great deal of things take place. A lot of uh, destruction. A lot of judgment. But through it, he sees loud and clear the image of Jesus Christ and what Jesus Christ is doing. And he comes to chapter, we come to chapter 21, And we see this message that whatever we're going through, it is well worth it. That is what we see here is that one of the the, the things that we see through this particular passage is that it's, it's well worth it because there is no place like heaven. There is no place like heaven. I know a lot of times we think about heaven and we just think about just this one, one specific place, but all our, 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 our minds and our thoughts about what heaven is going to be like, are all so, they're so small compared to what heaven will truly be like. So small to what God has prepared for those who love him and those who are faithful to him. So small. We see that there's no place like in heaven in verse 1 where it says John is, is, is brought before uh, this, this image and he sees a, a new heaven and a new earth for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away and the sea was no more. The earth as we know it will no longer be. Heaven as it is today will no longer be. God says that he's going to make things, he's going to make it all brand new and there's some, there's some debate over whether or not the earth will be completely destroyed or whether this simply means that uh, the earth will, will go through somewhat of a, a renovation and a cleansing and a puring, and then all things will be made brand new. And I, I tend to think the latter, based upon the research that I've done, it appears that that is more the latter. But regardless of whether it's a new, completely new, or whether it's purged and cleansed, it doesn't really matter. The, the thing that really matters, he says, I'm making everything new. That's what really matters. He says, you want to be there. You want, to, you want to be there to experience and see this new heaven and this new earth. He says that it is worth it. There is such a disruption that things will not be the same. Everything will be different. And we see this coming out in verse 1. He says that 
uh, the first heaven and the first earth had passed away. The things that used to be were no longer. But even though John sees the new heaven and the new earth, the one thing that it puts a lot of focus on is this new Jerusalem. A great deal of of, of imagery and a great deal of, of time is focused in, in this particular chapter on the new Jerusalem, the, the actual place, the city in which God's people will dwell. He sees this new Jerusalem in verse 2. It says, And I saw the holy city, new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And again, there are some who question, okay, is this new Jerusalem, is it an actual city? Or is it simply speaking of the people, the bride, God's people who will dwell with him forever? And I don't think we have to choose one or the other. I think it could be both. Certainly there's some symbolism in here in in chapter 21 uh, when we see, we'll see some of that later, but I think we see and the message is clear that we will dwell with God and this new Jerusalem that he presents talks about that will be the dwelling place, and he, he refers to it as the holy city. The Jerusalem that we know of where Jesus Christ goes into on Palm Sunday, this is not the Jerusalem that he's talking about. He says, I'm making a new Jerusalem. This new Jerusalem comes down out of heaven from God. And he says, it's a holy city. Holy city meaning that there's no sin. There's no crime in this city. It's hard for us to imagine not having sin in our own individual lives, let alone an entire city. But the only reason the city has sin is because we're in it. But he says there will be no sin. This will be a holy city. It'll be set apart for God's glory for all of eternity. He says this new Jerusalem. This new Jerusalem. And John is so, he's so enamored by this that the, the only thing, the only way he can describe it, he says it's prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. I don't think anything is as beautiful to a man than seeing his bride come down. As you, as you remember or you think about a wedding where a bride comes down dressed so nicely in the train of her, 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 her gown and, and we see people smiling, everybody smiling and you see people crying, some people crying because of tears of joy, people uh, just, just filled with joy and, and, and the husband is sitting there just waiting for his bride. And John, being a man, he's like, the only thing that I can see, he says, it's the bride. The bride of Christ. Prepared. And she's coming down out of heaven from God. Man, what a, what a picture. What an awesome picture. And we see that, that this, this, this takes place. This, this, you know, this, this spirit, the, the, the spirit then begins to give John a tour of this holy city. No mind has, has conceived, no ear has heard, no, no eye has seen what God has prepared, what God has planned for those who love him. But he has revealed it to us by his spirit. And we see this spirit, we see this taking place in verse 9. Says, then came one of the seven angels who had the seven bowls full of the seven last plagues and spoke to me, saying, Come, I will show you the bride, the wife of the Lamb. And he carried me away in the spirit to a great high mountain and showed me the holy city, Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God. Verse 11 having the glory of God, its radiance like a most rare jewel, like a jasper, clear as crystal. It had a great high wall with 12 gates, and at the gates 12 angels, and on the gates the names of the 12 tribes of the Son of Israel were inscribed, and on the east three gates, and on the north three gates, and on the south three gates, and on the west three gates, and on the wall of the city had 12 foundations, and on them were the 12 names of the 12 apostles of the Lamb. Oh, we, he's just even, he's just seeing just a smidgen of this tool of the city. And then in verse 15 it says, And the one who spoke with me had a measuring rod of gold to measure the city and its gates and walls. The, the city lies four square, its length and same as its width. And he measured the city with this rod, 12,000 stadia. Its length and width and height are equal. 
He also measured its wall, 144 cubits by human measurement, which is also an angel's measurement. The wall was built of jasper while the city was pure gold, but clear as glass. Oh, man. I mean, this angel takes John and he, and he, and he pulls out a measuring stick. He pulls out a measuring rod. Right? He gets some, he gets, it's, now this, it's gold. The measuring rod the angels got is gold. And so he starts to measure. He says, look, this, this, this uh, place is 12,000 stadiums. And see, this is only like 25 feet right here. But he says, this place that where you're going to be, where you're dwelling, he says it's 12,000 stadia. How much is 12,000 stadia? 1,400 miles. I'd have to keep going from here to El Paso, Texas, before I can get to that distance. And that's just one side. That's just one side. That's just the length. That's not the, the width of it. He says it's perfect on every side. So it's 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 the length from Canada to Mexico. That's, he says, that's what this city looks like. And 1,400, oh man, I'll tell you, 1,400 miles. If you go up 1,400 miles, I don't know if you can, you can stand it. Satellites orbit around 200 to 600 miles up in the air. He says, this city, 1,400 miles up. The, the, fa the basement is enough to contain everything that God needs. But he says, it's going to go up. So I'm, I'm here to tell you that this city, some people wonder, is there going to be enough space to occupy all the saints throughout history? God says there's going to be more space and then some. You won't have to worry about space. So whether the numbers are literal or symbolic, the numbers indicate every, every number, 12,000 stadia, 144 cubits, which is 200 feet, 70-something yards. I know all this because I looked it up. I'm like, poof. So I was like, man, he's down, he got it down. Uh, no, I'm not that good. But I know, he says, this 72 yards, men, football, you know how long that is of a football field, about three-fourths of a football field, right? He says, that's, that's the wall, right? All of these numbers, 12,000 stadia, 144 cubits, 12 walls, all of these things are multiples of 12, indicating that it's perfect. It's complete, it's perfect. Perfect shape. And so whether it's symbolic or whether it's literal, I really don't know. All I know is it's going to be perfect. All I know is there's going to be plenty of space and room for God's people. Plenty of space. Glorious is the place at which God's people are going to dwell with God forever and ever. This angel says, you got to see this, John. You got to see it. Transparent gold. Now we got gold, but we, it ain't transparent. We see artists and entertainers, they have gold. It's like, I got something, right? God says, I got transparent gold. You can see through it, but it's still gold. It's like glass. Like glass. I like what, what Grant Osborne said. He says, the reason both the city and the street are constructed of transparent gold is its own glory is insufficient and it can only radiate through its transparency the incomparably greater glory of God himself. The splendor of earthly gold is inadequate. It must be transparent so God's glory can shine through it. I like that. He says, look, just regular gold won't cut it. It's got to be gold at which God's glory has got to shine through it. That's the city we're talking about. That's the city. If anybody knows this, this is, this is worth it. This is just a brief tour of what the heavenly city, the holy city, will be like. Perfect, 12,000 stadia, 1,400 miles. Jewels in this city serve as wallpaper. Like, God's like, look, I don't put no, no wallpaper, no. We're going to put jewels, precious jewels. Each wall, he says, each wall is a different pearl. Now, again, whether literal or not, only thing I know is what God is trying to communicate, that this place is off the hook. It's precious. It's perfect. It's for God's people. It's worth it. He says it's worth your time. He says it's worth your sacrifice. 
It's worth your sweat and your tears. It's worth the blood. He says to the saints, those who have been martyred, he says, oh, it's worth it. And so to the point that when we get there, we're going to be like, man, what was I tripping over? What I went through doesn't, doesn't even compare to what God has prepared. So this city is going to be great. It's going to be greater than we can even imagine. The foundations of the wall, the city were adorned with every kind of jewel. Talks about the walls, the, 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 the walls or the doors are named after the 12 tribes of, of, of Israel and the 12 foundations, the 12 apostles, talking about that there's going to be, it's, it's, going, to, it's going to be complete. Old Testament, New Testament coming together, God's people, Jews, and, 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 and all the other saints coming together, everything will be complete. This will be a universal heaven where every tribe, every nation, every tongue will be glorifying God. Just a tool. Great city. Everything that we would ever want, it's all there. Holy, no sin. It's difficult for us to even imagine. So everything is set, right? But there's one thing that this city that we didn't talk about yet that, and dwell on is the fact that this city, the, the only reason this city is worth it is because God is there. God is the main attraction. So a lot of times we focus on the, the naturally we tend to focus on the material aspects of things. Oh man, I, I'm going to have this, I'm going to have this mansion. God has went to prepare a mansion for me, which is truly the case. He's prepared a place for you. But the reason why heaven is heaven is because God is there. God is the main attraction. We see that in verse 3, it says, And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them and they will be his people, and God himself will be with them as their God. So verse 3, John hears a, a loud voice. This is not the voice of God, but he hears a loud voice from the throne. Someone saying, Behold, take notice of this. God is with man. God will dwell. You will dwell with God if you have put your faith in Jesus Christ. You will dwell with God in his presence forever, for eternity. God is everywhere. He's omnipresent. But God's glory in heaven, that is his, that is his, his dwelling place, and that is where we will be in the presence of God forever and ever. I don't know that we, could, we can truly imagine and understand just the, 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 the magnitude of what is taking place here. And the fact that you won't, there won't be a place that you go where you have to wonder whether God is with you. Because you know God is with you. God will be with you. And, and because you're in his presence, there is the fullness of joy. The fullness of joy. Now, if some of us are honest, if some of us are honest, some of us are like, man, this seems kind of boring. Because what am I going to do in heaven? My tablet, is it going to be in heaven? Am I going to have my smartphone in heaven? What am I going to do? Are we just going to sing to God all day long? And I think part of that as ministers, we don't necessarily, we haven't painted necessarily maybe the best picture, right? We're just going to be singing before God all day long. He's like, man, me singing is not necessarily what I would consider to be heaven. Now, there truly, no doubt, there will be worship in heaven. Jesus Christ says you will, you will be worshiping and serving him. So everything we do will be motivated, motivated by our love for God. And if you don't love God here, you ain't going to love God in heaven. And so, but, but the, the truth is, though, worship is not, it includes singing, but it's not limited to singing. So worship is going to, when he talks about worship, I don't think we can even imagine all that God has in store, what we will be doing. 
The fact of the matter is, everything will be centered around and motivated by our love for God and not our love for ourselves. It will be for his glory, not our glory. And so we will rejoice in the presence of the king all day long. We would, we would see the hands and the feet of Jesus Christ, and we will be reminded of why we are in that holy city. You know, someone gives you a nice gift, I mean a really nice gift, and every time you see it, you're like, man, that's the person who gave me that gift. When heaven, when you are in the presence of Jesus Christ, and you see the marks on his head from the crown of thorns, and you see the nails on his hands and the nails on his feet, every single time, you won't feel, you won't feel guilty, but you'll be rejoiced, and you'll be like, praise God. I'm in the heaven with the King of kings and the Lord of lords. He is the one who has paid my price. If it wasn't for him, I wouldn't be here. And so you won't hesitate to rejoice. Uh, Brother Jared and, and, and Janice and Pauletta, I, I mean, I like y'all skills here, but I don't think in heaven we won't need worship leaders because everybody's going to be a worship leader. Everyone's going to be worshiping and giving God glory. You won't need a worship leader. There won't be a Sunday where we're trying to like play music and everybody get up, stand up. No, everyone will be standing up. Everyone will be bowing down before the throne of God. And it won't be under duress. It won't be under pressure. Like That's what I want to do. Because this place is so grand. It's so, it's so off the hook that, man, I, I don't even belong here but by the grace of God. So for us to think that it's boring, I know what Randy Alcorn said, he says that, he said something to the effect of, the fact that God doesn't get bored with us, now that's amazing. That's amazing. I mean, we're talking about the God who created all that there is, heavens and the universe and everything that there is, and the fact that he wants to have a relationship with you and me. fact that we think that we would get bored in heaven, in God, in the dwelling place with God. If you are an artist, you will be in the presence of the artist. I ain't talking about Prince either. I ain't talking about Prince. I'm talking about the artist. The one who created the heavens, created billions upon billions of galaxies, which we're still trying to to, to figure out, still trying to, to understand all that God has created through the, through, the, through, the, through the depths of time. We're still trying to behold everything. And once we're in heaven, it, it'll, spend, it'll take more than an eternity for us to figure it all out. If you're an artist, you're going to be in the presence of the one who created man out of nothing. Thus, created the heavens and the earth. What more would you just behold his glory? If you are a musician, you're going to be in the presence of the, 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 the musician. The one who created Michael Jackson with his talents and Mahalia Jackson and, and all of these artists. When we're in heaven, I believe we're going to hear sounds that's going to be like, man, did you hear that? Feeling stuff we never felt before. Hearing stuff we've never heard before. If you are a scientist... You will come into knowing all the depths, come to know the depths and the width and the knowledge of God and, and just be in awe of who he is in his presence. Is it worth it? Is it worth it? For eternity is what he says. Think about it. There will be laughter and joy to think that it would be born and to know that God is the one who created us with the ability to laugh. It's not like we invented it or found or was like, oh, ha, ha, Adam and Eve, like, ha, ha, yeah, do what you do. <laughs> no. God created us with that ability to laugh. And, and, and when, we, when we think about it being born, think about the birth of a baby. How God brings about things such as that. Think about the Grand Canyon. Think about Niagara Falls. Think about some of the great natural wonders. And some people, those who are questioning, be like, oh, that's just some natural erosion. Hey, you don't, you, don't, you don't argue with what tool the artist used. You just know that the artist, he created it. 
Think about a sunrise. When you see a beautiful sunrise, these are just pieces of God's glory. and What God does and what God can do and what God and in his presence, it will be the fullness of his glory. So much so that the walls and everything that there is is transparent to radiate his glory. But even more, it says in verse 4, it says, He will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and death shall be no more, neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore, for the former things have passed away. Because there is no sin, there will be no more death. Because there is no, no more sin, there will be no pain. There will be no mourning. I've been dealing with sinus issues all week, and even today, and in heaven there will be no sinus issues. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. I was thinking about that this morning, like, Lord, praise you that I won't have to deal with this too much more longer. Arthritis. No more arthritis in heaven. No more death. No more sickness. All because God is there. All because we're in the presence of the Almighty. He says it will be no more. Not only no more sin, no more pain. He says there will be no sun. <laughs> there will be no sun. God is its, is its light. And the Lamb is its light. It says that. Further down, verse 23. And the city has no need of sun or moon to shine on it, for the glory of God gives it light, and its lamp is the Lamb, the Lamb of God, Jesus Christ. Won't feel no sun scorching your head. Just be perfect. Be lit up. Praise God. No pain, no sorrow, no death, no mourning. The former things, he says, have all passed away. Reminds me of 2 Corinthians 4, 16. It says, we do not lose heart. Because of these things, Paul said, we do, not, we do not lose heart. So although the outward part is wasting away, the inner part of ourselves is being renewed day by day, it says. For the light and momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. Said you can't even compare it to anything. Paul and, and, and the other Christians were going through persecution. They were dying for their faith. But Paul says, you're like momentary affliction. It's preparing for you an eternal weight of glory that is beyond all comparison. Knowing what we know, you can't help but to share it and to tell someone the good news. You can't keep it to yourself. That's the whole point of being missional, about carrying out the Great Commission, is when you know the truth, when you know what is in store for those who put their faith in Jesus Christ, you want to share that with someone else. Just like if you find something else or you experience something, some of you, you remember back in the days you used to go to a concert, man, I wish so-and-so was here. Kind of like back in the days when I was a little boy and I went to see Star Wars. Man, I can't go whole way to go home and tell somebody about Star Wars. When you experience something so great, you want to share it. You want to be able to tell someone, you want to be there where I'm going to be. You want to be where God has prepared a place for those who put their faith in Jesus Christ. It leads us to be missional. And we see that God told John, he says, write it down. Because God is a missional God. He doesn't need us, but he wants to fellowship with us. In verse 5, he says, And he who was seated on the throne said, Behold, I am making all things new. Also he said, Write this down, for these words are trustworthy and true. And he said to me, It is done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. To the thirsty I will give from the spring of the water of life without payment. God is God, this is God in verse 5, one seated on the throne. He says, behold, I am making all things new. He says, John, write this down. I can imagine John's just so enamored by everything. He's like, John, you need to write this down. You need to take notes about this. 
so that those who are being persecuted, those who are struggling in their faith, then and years to come, he says, you need to write this down so that they will know that heaven is well worth it. To dwell with me, he says, is well worth it. So he says, you need to write it down. Heaven is well worth it because there's no place like heaven. And God is the main attraction. But your response speaks louder than words. Do you believe that it's worth it? Do you believe in God's word is the question. Whether we believe it or not, it's going to be the way God says it's going to be. But the question is, Will you believe, will you put your faith in him and live as though you know that this is going to take place? That's what we see God is, 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 is enforcing here. He says, write this down. This, these words are trustworthy and true. I like the fact that God just reiterates the fact that this is trustworthy and true. These things, he says, first of all, these, this is not John's imagination. John didn't just have a dream and dream this up by himself. I like in the, the, the cover of the book of Revelation or at the front of the book of Revelation says, the book of Revelation to John. To John. Jesus Christ, Revelation to John. God says, write this down. These are the things that I'm going to do. So let us not question it. God is not a God... God, that he should, should lie like man. The Lord has sworn it, and what he has planned, it will, it will stand, and what he has purposed, it will be. That's what God tells us. And so we see God not only says it's true and trustworthy, but he, he, he reinforces the fact that who he is, that's the reason why it is done. It is done. He says, I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. God is sovereign. He controls the beginning and he controls the end. So whatever is going to take place, regardless of what is going to happen throughout the course of time, God says, this is going to happen. Nothing can thwart my plan. Sometimes we make promises that we can't keep. We have good intentions. We plan on keeping them. But some outside circumstances kind of come in our way. It may be us getting sick. It may be something that we just cannot avoid, that we cannot keep our promises. God says that I am sovereign. I am the Alpha and the Omega. I control all that there is. So there is nothing that will take place that is beyond what he can do. And so God is just reminding us that regardless of what it is you're going through, regardless of what your pain is and what you see on TV, and what others say, he's, he's here to convince us that his plan is right on track. Everything that he has purposed is right on plan. And it will not be deterred because of who he is. El Shaddai, Elohim, God Almighty, the Lord, the first, the last, the beginning and the end, the one who was and is and is to come, the, the ancient of days. He says, I am the one who will bring this to pass. Write it down, John. But our, 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 our actions speak louder than words. How we live declares what it is we believe. How we live speaks and declares what we believe. So if, if I don't believe that this is going to take place, then I'm not, I'm not going to think it's worth it. I don't, I'm not going to think it's worth it to sacrifice my life and to give my life to Jesus Christ. I'm not going to think it's worth it to stay up and to study God's word and to get to know him and to, to, to pursue him. I'm not going to think it's worth it to give tithes and offerings because, man, you know how much money I can save if I don't give? And what if this doesn't work out the way that it plans for it to be? What if, I, what if you know, all this money that I'm giving, I could be using it for myself and I don't want to find myself on the end of my days and figuring out, you know, a scientist may come up with something where we see that God doesn't exist and then I spent all this money and what's going to happen? No. Because it's worth it. But our actions speak louder than words. 
will we believe? And how we live speaks louder than words. Impatience leads to disobedience. And a lot of times that's what we see in our walk with Christ. It's like God has taken too long. This cannot, maybe this isn't going to go down like, like, like the word says. It's been 2,000 years. The scripture says a, a day is like a thousand years to God. Like eternity is like, you know, I mean, it, it's, you just can't imagine. But how, how, how will we respond? How will you respond to God's revelation? Will you completely give of yourself to Jesus Christ? And not to look back, but to say, I'm, I'm going to give my all to Christ. I'm not going to settle for second best. I'm not going to settle for the things of this world. I'm not going to be trying to have my best life now because I know that my best life can only be lived in the presence and the throne of God. And we have to stop living as though this is the only thing that there is. That there's nothing better. And I know it's difficult, but that's the way we live sometimes. As if just in case, it doesn't work out the way that it says, I won't feel like I wasted my time. Jesus Christ is saying, um, if you're going to follow after me, you must deny yourself. Take up your cross daily and follow me. Because he says that what I have in store for those who put their faith in me, is so much more greater, is so much more better than what you can, you, you can ever receive here. That's why he says, seek the things that are above where Christ is on the right-hand side of God. Set your minds on things that are above, not on things that are on this earth. That's why he says, that's what Paul says that in Colossians. Walk by faith, not by sight. I remember... When I was thinking about this, Jasmine, I remember about three years ago when she was uh, looking for a college to go to, and, you know, like most parents, it's like, okay, where's the money at? Where's it going to go? You know, scholarships and stuff, and, and you know, we were, she was applying to different schools and everything, and, and then we, uh, she got a scholarship from a uh, University of Cumberland's. And I can't remember exactly how much it was. I think it was like $40,000 or something like that. And, and I was like, you going? <laughs> it wasn't a full ride, but I was like, it's close enough. I jumped online. I'm looking at the school. When I found out it's a Christian school, I'm like, you going? And Jasmine was grateful. She was excited. But at the same time, she was like, you know, we got to talk. She's like, I think that, you know, I, I just feel like I'm going to, for some reason, I'm going to be going to U of L. Like the U of L, I like U of L, but did they give you any money? <laughs> you going where the money's at? I mean, I'm just being real. That's what I was. That's what I was thinking. And and I'll never forget that Jasmine called me up at work and or Jocelyn and said that Jasmine got a full academic scholarship to U of L. I was like. And it's not like Jasmine was in on the no. She just said, I feel like I'm going to be going to L for some reason. But me, I was like, go wherever you got it now. Just don't wait. They might, they might rescind the scholarship and whatever. I don't know. We just sign up. Apply. Yes, you will. Sometimes that's how we live. While we're here, we're like, whatever we see now, it's like, that's the first thing that we we want to grab a hold of, and we, don't, we can't see further ahead of what God has in store for us, so we grab the first thing that comes, and we're like, I, I don't know if what's going to come ahead, so I better get it while I can get it now. And so while I got the money, I'm going to spend it like I can spend it. I'm going to make all the money I can make. I'm going to keep it myself. I'm not going to sacrifice my time. I'm not going to pour into anybody else. I'm not going to get into community. I'm not going to seek God's word. I'm not going to waste my time doing that because I've got things to do now. I've got other things before me right now. And I can't see what God has in store for me. 
God is saying, walk by faith and not by sight. Don't jump at the first option. Don't jump at the first uh, offer that comes to you. Satan's going to offer you some things while you're here. He's going to make some things that look mighty, mighty good. He's going to give some th- put some things before you that are going to be very enticing. But God says, just wait for me. Trust in me. Know that I have something so much more better for you. Your sacrifice is worth it. Your labor, your, all that you do, he said, is not in vain. It's worth it. How will you respond? I pray that you respond by trusting in his son, Jesus Christ, as Lord and Savior, and you would give of your life to him because the alternative is not so good. As he lays out, God provides a warning in verse 8. He says, but as for the cowardly, the faithless, the detestable, as for murderers, the sexual immoral, sorcerers, idolaters, and all liars, their portion will be in the lake that burns with fire and sulfur, which is the second death. What is it? He says, it's hell. Are you going to be a conqueror or a coward? That's what God says. So don't throw anything up here. God says, Are you going to be a conqueror? Those who are conquerors are those who put their faith in Jesus Christ who has overcome the world. That's the reason why Jesus Christ says, you're going to have trouble in this life, but take heart because I have overcome the world. And if you put your faith in Jesus Christ, he says, you have overcome the world as well. Conqueror or coward? Coward are those who start out. They may even begin to believe haphazardly, but they turn back from the faith. They turn back and believe because this world has, has some things that just appeal to them greater than the things that God has in store. And I plead that if there's anyone here today who doesn't know Jesus Christ as their Savior, that you will see that all that God asks of you, Jesus Christ, of you giving your very life, it is worth it. It is worth your time. It is worth your sacrifice. And do not be fooled by the things that you see here and the things that are so enticing. It's worth it turning away and repenting of your sins. It's worth it living faithfully for Jesus Christ and getting to know him. It's worth it. Because God has prepared a place in which his people, those who put their faith and trust in him, will reside with him for all of eternity. And that is the truth. But when that time comes, it will be too late to make a decision. It will be too late. There is no middle ground in which you can later decide to accept Jesus Christ. The greatest decision you can make in this life is to trust in Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. Amen? Amen. Amen. Let us pray.